Dave, as we started off this conversation, I just have to say, why are you so nervous when we just try to talk about Jesus? This whole entire show today, dear listener, is going to be talking about Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, yes. only Jesus. And well, so if you want to know who we are, we are Casting Nets Podcast, and we are talking today about Holy Week, which is all about who, Dave? It's all about Jesus, but you didn't really tell me that it was going to be about Holy Week. I thought it was supposed to be about the, the resurrection and Easter. So I was doing all these preparations, reading about uh, Easter, and then Will says, well, Dave, you sent me this great uh, video about the week that changed the world, so let's talk about that. And I'm like, well, what exactly do you want to talk about? He's like, well, it's going to be awesome what we're going to talk about. It is. And then that was that was your answer. Two, so. two pastors talking about well, Jesus <laughs> is awesome. I mean, I how more how, how much better can you get other than to be in church where you receive the sacrament and then it would be even more awesome. Right. So, so we will talk Will about the resurrection. to the idea that pastors just get up in the morning on Sunday and just talk about Jesus without any preparation whatsoever. Isn't that what we do? <laughs> I mean, I thought we only worked one day a week. So, I mean, for one hour. For yeah. one hour. And, and, you know, that's when we do all of our prep work, you know, the morning of. Um, dear listener, that is not true, by the way. Uh, we do a lot more than that most of the days. Um, but as we have an opportunity, we are, we are gathering around and we get to talk about Jesus. And yes, Dave, we will focus heavily on Good Friday and the resurrection because. After all, that's the point, right? The point that Christ died for our sins and rose again victorious for us to give to us the victory um, so that we may live with him. Uh, but how do we get there and, and where, does, where does this all come from is kind of the, the whole point of Holy Week um, because uh, everything comes to a head in Holy Week. And, and so there is a, there's a bunch of stuff going on in the background. There's a bunch of stuff going on in the foreground. There's a bunch of things that are talked about. Um, and really, you know, um, we are going to see Jesus laser focus on the cross and, and really, um, have an opportunity to highlight what, what we would theologically call passive obedience. Um, but as, as Dave, you have said numerous times, it's just obedience. Um, and, and so we're, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But before we do that, we do have a disclaimer, and I'm going to hand it over to, to my cohort, uh, Pastor Dave Rudot, who, who by the way, if, since we didn't do introductions, I am Pastor Will Harley, and I'm here with uh, Pastor Dave Rudot, and, and we are just going to give our thoughts, but I'm going to let him introduce that. Well, this is actually going to be the saddest disclaimer in all of Casting Nets history, because we're talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that offends you, dear listener, that makes us very sad. However, you are free to leave. We're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus. We're going to talk about some uh, skeptics uh, looking at the resurrection, looking at the week that changed the world in a very honest look. Uh, we're, we're not going to be looking at uh, the the week of that changed the world uh, in terms of fawning over what everything that Jesus did. But I think we're going to try to honestly look at uh, what happened during that week and maybe address some of the skepticisms of that. However, uh, it, it 
is offensive, the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. And if that offends you, dear listener, that is the saddest, saddest news uh, that we will ever hear. So please don't be offended today. Please listen to uh, the wonderful message that we have to share to you about the week that changed the world. So when we talk about the uh, week that changed the world, the week of Holy Week, uh, we are tempted to start on Sunday with Palm Sunday, but that really isn't the first thing we should be talking about when it comes to Holy Week, because the first thing we should be talking about is the raising of Lazarus from the dead. Yeah, um, isn't that a, a wonderful occurrence? It's one of those occurrences, I think, in Scripture where where we have... Um, Maybe you could say the the most prominent of his miracles. Um, I mean, I've often thought that you know calming the sea was pretty cool, um, but but I, I I think in terms of how the world would look at it, the greatness of the miracle of raising Lazarus from the dead is kind of um, monumental. And 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 historically, they have found the tomb of Lazarus, and and the inscription on his tomb. Um, is twice dead once uh, no sorry yeah twice died twice raised uh kind of a, a awesome reference to to you know he became a bishop in the church he 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 preached Christ crucified um he you know he was a a, a man who who understood the love of Jesus um but the miracle itself um for those who 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 want a refresher on the miracle um, Lazarus was sick and, uh, his sisters, um, Mary and Martha, they, they kind of, uh, write to, uh, Jesus, send someone to Jesus to say, you know, come, um, because Lazarus is sick. Uh, he needs your help. And, uh, Jesus decides to not come and, uh, he passes away and he gets news that he passes away and he continues to not come, um, <clears throat> for, for what, three days. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so, you know, Lazarus is four days in the tomb by the time Jesus shows up in Bethany and, uh, he's he, smelly. Yeah. He's, he's, well, by that time he'd be very stinky. Um, and yeah, he, he'd be in the tomb for a while. The body would have already started to decompose. Uh, in fact, we're told that in scripture, right? That, that, um, you can't go into the tomb. Um, it's been sealed, uh, because at that time in the decomposition process, it would be dangerous for another person to be around because they'd get sick um, from from the fumes that were being given off of as the body decomposes. Um, but then something awesome happens. Um, we do have the resurrection um, quote given right to to Martha, um, where where we have you know I am the resurrection and the life, and then. Uh, she says, "Yep, I believe that. That in the end we will we will rise." Um, and he he kind of shows to her, you know, I can I can do this now. And he does, and it's kind of neat. Um, we get to talk about Jesus, and and he just and and I like how he does it. Um, he doesn't do it in in a, in a way like he waves his hands around, and does a little dance. Um, you know, he kind of just looks at the tomb and says. Uh, uh, it says, open it up, guys. And they're all like, are you serious? You know, 
This is this is not the normal custom. But they open it up the tomb and he just says, Lazarus, come out. Right? Um kinda simple, kinda non committal. Just come on out. Yeah, with a loud voice. Yeah. Loud well, voice, he had Lazarus, a, come out. You know, he's dead. His ears don't work so well. <laughs> right. So, you know, I mean, you know, you get the term, you're so loud you wake the dead. Um, that's where this comes from. He's got a preaching voice. He's, he does have a preaching voice. Very good. Very good. So he, he spoke from his diaphragm. Um, and and he, he cries out. And what happens? The dead man comes out. Well, he's not dead anymore. Well, I mean, he, just the... the uh, how John says the man who had died came out with his with his feet. So it was just the idea. Of, this was not just uh, somebody waiting in the wings of the the stage, getting ready to get to come on stage with their line. Like he's standing there behind the rock. But the fact that he was dead but now is alive came out. Uh, yeah. And he he comes out and he's still wrapped, like uh, well in the burial cloths. So I mean he's he's still wrapped up as if that was the way they put him in. Um, that had to have been a sight, uh, cause you know, as the body decomposes, I'm sure those claws weren't clean. Um, and, and, and he probably smelled, um, yeah, it was not one of those moments of, Hey, let's go and hug Lazarus. This is amazing stuff. This right. is, you know, maybe go down to the river and take a shower, please. Because, uh, uh, man, you, you smell like a foot. And while everyone is standing there with their jaws, uh, reaching down to the, the, uh, the ground, Jesus is the one who's concerned about Lazarus and says, um, take these burial clothes off because he can't move. He can't move around because he's all wrapped up and let him go. So it's just uh, Jesus is displaying an ultimate mastery over the situation and uh, displaying that he is the Savior. What makes uh, the Lazarus resurrection so significant is how close it was to Jerusalem. Uh, yeah, it it's is Bethany. In, Bethany. So this isn't just a miracle happening in the far reaches of Galilee that could be easily uh, <clears throat> explained away as if it were some sort of myth or you know a, far, a tall tale of what of Jesus. But this is something that's going to happen right in the the back door of the biggest city in Israel. Well, and I w- I would even go a step further and to say that not only was it in their in the backyard of of the biggest city. Um, but you you have people who are from the city who who were mourning and they were kind of they were still around Bethany, right? Um, which I think leads us to to sort of some of the issues that we're going to have entering into Holy Week because this causes quite the stir um, that that you have people not. I mean, you can explain a lot away um, when you are the central location of, of the Jewish faith and community in Jerusalem and you see what's going on in the North and you're like, ah, it's a bunch of rabble rousers up there. Uh, we don't really have to be concerned with that. And then all of a sudden it's now in your backyard and something happens that, that is just monumental in, in proportions really. Um, and, and people aren't going to shut up about it. Right. And, and, uh, in fact, in John chapter 11, you have people going to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and saying this big thing just happened in your backyard. Um, so it's, it's, uh, Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead was definitely an attention getter for Jesus. He is putting the flag in the sand and saying, here I am. Uh, Pharisees and Sadducees, those who had opposed him throughout his ministry, who had given him questions and things. He is really planting the flag and saying, here I am, guys. Yeah, um, and that that's going to cause some future problems. 
um, that are going to have some echoes going throughout uh, Holy Week. So sort of jumping ahead and, and progressing a little bit through Holy Week, we then, we then sort of um, make our way to, to Jesus spending some time with his friends in Bethany. Um, he spent some time with Mary and, and Martha and Lazarus. And then on Sunday, he, um, he sends his disciples out and um, says, I, w- I, I want you to get a colt. Right, um, and and you're gonna find it, and here's here's where it is, um, as he's he's approaching, it. and we're not exactly sure what city could have been Bethany, could have been Bethphage, um, but he's he's walking village, yeah, village yeah, ahead of him, yep, one of the villages, and and so he's he's gathering these, and he, he you see his omniscience, right? He knows exactly what it is, where it's gonna be, tells him where it is, tells him the conversation that's gonna happen. Someone's gonna stop you, people are gonna question you, and here's what you tell them, and they're gonna be okay with it, um, which. That's a whole other story on a totally different wavelength. Which, which hopefully you'll get on Palm Sunday from your pastor. Hopefully, if they're good. <laughs> if they talk about Jesus, Pastor right, well. Pastor Rudot will talk about that. <laughs> I probably will forget. <laughs> <laughs> doubt it. Doubt it. But as we we but I mean that's a that's a conversation for a totally different podcast. If you want to focus just on the Palm Sunday uh, event. But but essentially they, they go they get they find what they got right they they find everything as it is they bring Jesus um, the colt um, and and it's one that's never been sat on and they bring uh, the mother with it as well um, there's there's two donkeys but only one's getting used and uh, he he starts making his way into Jerusalem now there's some importance in in what's going on because we're we're getting a culture clash. I think in this whole entire idea of, of coming into Jerusalem, we have these Galileans and other people who had seen what was going on with Lazarus. They are just excited. Um, this is, you know, they've heard rumors that Jesus could feed thousands. They they have heard rumors that he could heal the sick. They had they've heard rumors that that he's done these been chased out demons, done these marvelous things, and now they've seen it personally. He, he rose the dead uh, he, he raised the dead right uh, this is this is you know rumors are one thing personal experience are just there's nothing that compares to it and so they are super excited and they they are praising Jesus and they're using uh, the Psalms to do it uh, crying out Hosanna which again come to church on Sunday and you will hear what that word means and all the awesomeness that is encompassed in that even from will Harley you'll hear even that. from me exactly um and and so You'll you'll get that awesome opportunity to hear, um, but they come in and they're praising. And over all of this, the Pharisees, high priests, the Sanhedrin—they're not happy. Um, and and maybe explain to us a little bit, or walk us through why they are so discontent. Well, they're discontented with Jesus because of what they're saying. The people are are really the tone is very messianic in quality and they're also giving credit to Jesus. Uh, they're throwing some shade. To, is that the term throwing shade or not throwing shade is a bad term, isn't it? Yes. I'll say so they're, they are, uh, um, giving glory to Jesus, the glory that should be given to God and Jesus isn't stopping them. And so the Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, go to Jesus and they say, Jesus, ah, um, you should uh, you should be saying something here. This is a little dangerous. They're giving God credit and they're and they're directing it to you. And Jesus says, 
Uh, again, he's planted the flag and said, well, if they're going to keep quiet, then the rocks are going to cry out. Because, And essentially what Jesus is telling them is um, what they're saying, Pharisees and Sadducees, is the truth. Uh, that's not going to go over well with the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They're already on notice from the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead that the people are kind of gravitating toward Jesus and they are scared about losing their power. They're scared that the Romans were going to come in and take away their power. They're afraid that there's going to be some sort of uh, physical insurrection where Jesus is going to become this new king and there's going to be unrest. And the Romans, of course, don't like unrest. Um, they're also afraid of losing their influence over the people because Jesus is leading them away from their, uh, their religious, um, hold over them. So, right. And and all kinds of problems. Yeah. And and it is, that's, that's really, um, I, I think this is where, where we really come down to it and we say, you know, there, you, you see the definite difference between the religious leaders of the day and and what Jesus has come to do, um, Jesus has come not to to um, cause division, but there's a natural division that that is formed, and the division that is formed is is one that is centered not on <clears throat> um, not on truth of Scripture, but on um, philosophy of life, and and you have the 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 rulers, the religious leaders of the day that are very comfortable in the way life is being handled. Um, and, and, and so their philosophy of life is let's just keep doing what we're doing because this is okay. Um, and we're going to see that throughout all of Holy week where, where Jesus comes in and he upsets the status quo. And that that's an issue. And we're going to find it to be an issue with Pilate. And, and it's the issue with Pilate is less with Jesus and more with, with, with the, the high priest um, but with the high priest, we see he's, he, I mean, there's this, both high priests, I think, have this, I, I don't want to lose my standing. And the more Jesus talks, the more people realize I'm a bag of wind and, and I'm empty. And I have a bunch of practices that they should follow, but I have no conviction that they do anything. And, and I think there's, there's something maybe to be said in the podcast very briefly about, about the, the group of people who are leading the church at that time. We, we call them the Sanhedrin. Um, they're made up of, of Sadducees um, and, and, and... The aristocrats. Yeah, the aristocrats. Now, Sadducee, some, I think maybe we should just say it. Sadducees were, were kind of the... They were, they were the aristocrats. They were the ruling class for the, the majority of the religious, religious people but they're also the ones that denied the resurrection. They're the ones that denied really the spiritual aspect of of temple worship. Yeah, the, yeah, right. They're made up of people who are supposed to be in charge of the temple worship so that you've got your their Levites. Uh, they're, that's where the, all of the high priests would come from, was from the, the Sanhedrin, this aristocratic class. That really the only structure that the Jewish people have left because of the Romans is their worship structure and these and the priests and so that's where all this power is in this group called the Sandrin and it's the it's the highest political power that you can have in the in the nation of Judah at that time was going to the Sanhedrin. Right. But the problem with the Sanhedrin is is they were they were and I think you you highlight it they were political. They they their job was supposed to watch over the spiritual life of the people. That was their function. Their function was to 
to really have people focus on the coming promise of the Messiah. And and we see throughout all of the time of Christ's uh, presence um, here among us, Emmanuel with us, um, he he is always butting heads with the Sanhedrin. He's always butting heads with the Sadducees. They are, I mean, they even enlist the, the, the uh, um, Grecian Jews, the, the, the Alexandrian Jews, the Hellenistic Jews, who they hate to try to find ways to make Jesus stumble. I mean, okay, in, in retrospect, I know we give the Pharisees a lot of grief. Grief. <laughs> we, we do. We give them a lot of grief, Yeah, right? we don't have very, very many nice things to say about the Pharisees. I would take a Pharisee over a Sadducee in the Sanhedrin any day of the week. I, I, I would, because at least they're spiritual about it. Um, they are, there are people who are genuinely trying to, to look out for the spiritual well-being of people. And yes, they're going about it in a completely law centered way. And, and they, they don't take the signs of, you know, the Messiah coming, um, and here is what's happening as as truthfully as they should, but it, man, they're trying. And many Pharisees, and let's just, let's be honest, many Pharisees do become Christian, uh, and they do follow Christ. Nicodemus is one of them. Um, they they understand who Jesus is. But but these Sadducees, they, I mean, and think about it. Let's let's talk. Go back. He just raised Lazarus from the dead, and you have, and you have the Sadducees who deny the resurrection. This is a huge blow to the very core of their power base because their their power base rests in the idea of this life is the only life you have, so you better listen to us because we're going to make it the best it, it possibly can be. And now they're saying, wait a second, we just saw a guy raise another guy from the dead and you said that couldn't happen. And look, at it just happened. So apparently you don't know what you're talking about. Um, that's a huge blow. I, I think fundamentally that's a huge blow. Yes. So Palm Sunday, Jesus riding into Jerusalem causes waves. Uh, you have people who, who uh, have seen the the resurrection of Lazarus, and they're following after Jesus. You have people, pilgrims coming into Jerusalem for the Passover feast. So they're all excited about. They're all spiritually. They're. It's kind of like uh, people around Easter time where they're like, okay, this is the time for us to be thinking about church. These are people. That, this is the time for us to be going to the temple. This is the time for us. Uh, to be thinking about uh, God's promises of sending the one, the lamb that was going to be slain, that was going to take away all of their sins. So you have people who are coming into Jerusalem who are all excited. They see Jesus uh, riding on the donkey. They put the palm branches down. They're, we can't really necessarily read their minds. Like how much did they know when they were saying, Hosanna, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Again, you'll hear that tomorrow from Will. You'll hear it from me too, but you'll hear it tomorrow, uh, on Palm Sunday, I should say, uh, from your faithful confessional Lutheran pastor. But Jesus is doing other things while he is uh, riding on the donkey. He's crying for one thing. Um, he is weeping over Jerusalem. He is sad that these all of these people, come, all of these pilgrims coming to the feast are not going to listen to him. Uh, they're not going to believe in him. And how he longed to gather them like a, a chicken would gather their their chicks under their wings. Um, he rides into Jerusalem and then he goes to the temple. He does, and, and he, he looks, looks around. around. Yeah, uh, and 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 we have nothing really that happens. But but there is something that happens that I think is very interesting. Um, he goes to the temple. He looks around, and this is from Mark. 
He goes to the temple, looks around, and then he leaves only with the 12. Um, so we instantly see something that is going to be a problem um, throughout all of Holy Week, which is you have you have these group of people who follow him and are excited for him, and they are they are on fire for him to to move in in this political direction, and they don't seem to show up the rest of the week. <laughs> I mean, especially at the end, um, they they don't seem to make the appearance to to combat the forces that are going to ally against him. Now, is that God's plan? Yes, definitely is God's plan. But it's very telling, I think, of of just the 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 tenor and the tone of what's going on is you have this you have this tentative hope that is in the air and it's so fragile that uh, the only thing that can solidify it is the resurrection and and that that's going to happen right mm-hmm. um you know we're going to see that even in the disciples that there's this tentative hope that is just dashed on crucifixion Friday on on Good Friday, there it just dashed and and there's like no recovery from that until there is Jesus and He says peace be with you, and it's like you you, you often wonder what was the vita, what was this fundamental shift and change in 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 Peter James John and the rest of the disciples who ran away from Jesus, and then all of a sudden they're they're like do whatever you want to us I don't care. All right, you're we're on Easter, Will, and we haven't even gotten to, to Monday. So I'm let's sorry. Back to back to, to back to Monday of Holy Week. Uh, hey, hey, it is not my fault that the Bible is so awesome and that it just <laughs> makes connections all over, over the, the place. place. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you said, Will, at the end of the day on Sunday, um, you, we can all speculate. We we joked uh, in our exegesis on Monday. What did Jesus say? Or think to himself as he's walking around Jerusalem, uh, walking around the temple, like uh, in a one week time, won't need you anymore. Or uh, that curtain, you know, it'd be a shame if something happened to you because uh, it would be torn in two on, on Good Friday. So, anyway. I wonder what's behind there. <laughs> I wonder what's behind there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I saw that. <laughs> I know what's <laughs> there. Hey, Peter, have you ever <laughs> been behind there? <laughs> <laughs> right, uh, I I would just I'm continually struck. It's not the Wizard of Oz. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> continually struck. Just uh, Jesus and his humanity goes to the temple. Yes, he knows exactly what's there according to his divinity, but in his humanity, he goes and checks it out and walks and looks around. But it does uh, foreshadow what's going to happen the next day. So on Monday, uh, Jesus and his followers are leaving Bethany, and Jesus is hungry. Uh, so he sees a fig tree. And he goes up to the fig tree. The fig tree looks like it should be producing fruit. It's got all the signs, and he doesn't see any fruit on the fig tree. So he curses the fig tree and says, may you never bear fruit again. Uh, and so may, perhaps that sets him off on, uh, on a, on a, on a um, maybe he's a little bit more ornery when he goes into he Jerusalem. He has an empty stomach. Maybe he's an empty stomach. I don't, I don't This is all conjecture, guys. We're just being... Having fun with the uh, the week that changed the world, the big week of Jesus's life. Anyway, but, the, be, but the, well, go just, ahead. Just want I just want to stop at that fig tree because I think a lot of people have have made comments on that fig tree before and said, you know, what did the fig tree ever do? And the answer is, it didn't bear fruit. That's what it did. Um, a fruit tree's only job, I mean, it's like what it does is bear fruit, and it didn't. So it 
kind of failed in its whole entire purpose. Um, and so, you know, but it, it's the illustration, right? The illustration of a people who look like everything is ready and they're not. Um, like they're, they're, that they should be the people who are ready to, to get behind Christ and know what he's doing and they don't. Uh, and I think that's the, it's a very, very physical visual that we see, and we're going to get a lot more of them in words and action, mm-hmm. of course, throughout the week. But it's one of those first ones where it's just a really quick little thing. And we all look at there and like, that's weird. Yeah. But maybe not so weird. You know, this is a very visual aid that, that all the disciples are going to find and say, Huh. Yeah, that. Huh. That, that's uh, that's unfortunate. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing else. It displays the seriousness of Jesus. He is here uh, to um, to save the world and to save humanity. And he is he is he's not just uh, on a pleasure trip, or it's not just that he uh, needs needs. Uh, to enjoy life here on earth. He is here for a specific purpose, and he is disappointed in that God's people aren't ready for him, but uh, that does not deter him. So that's the, that's the gospel nugget in the fig tree, right. is that he keeps going. Like, he's yep. going to he's gonna curse the fig tree. May you never bear fruit. You didn't do what you were supposed to do, and it's and perhaps it is uh, um, a a picture of all of humanity not ready for him and or maybe displaying all the... the uh, uh, all of the trappings of being people who follow God but aren't really following him, their faith, but he still goes into Jerusalem. He goes into Jerusalem, goes to the temple again, and this time he doesn't just look around. What does he do when he's at the temple this time? He uh, he proves himself to be the Incredible Hulk. And he, um, <clears throat> you know, if you ever think, if you think that Jesus is this meek and mild, you know, every, I love everybody and, oh, don't push any. This is not my Jesus. My Jesus is awesome. Um, my Jesus, he rip, he throws over tables. He chases, he chases out grown men, um, you know, for the money changers, and he cleans, he cleans house um, because things that were happening in the temple uh, and in the temple courts uh, were not were not sacramental things. These were not the things presenting the gifts of God to God's people. They were travesties that people were using to get ahead in life and to and to to swell their own pockets on the expense of the faithful. And so he cleans house um, and, and he does a marvelous job. And then um, he leaves. Yeah, the disciples remember uh, the Psalms that said, "Zeal for my house will consume me." So they're they're seeing Jesus fulfilling the Old Testament, but di- are they putting all the pieces together in their heads that he's going to be the suffering servant, or are they putting the pieces together in their heads that he's going to be a king? Uh, so the, again, like you were saying, there's there's this excitement, there's this hope, these emotions are starting to build. Jesus is planting the flag in the sand. He's drawing the line for the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees and say, this far, no further. Uh, he is not backing away from them, and he is definitely um, hitting them where it hurts. Absolutely. And so he, uh, he, he goes home, he rests well, he wakes up on Tuesday, and uh, he, he comes back. They walk by that fig tree, and guess what? It's, it's dead. Um, and uh, um, he continues to walk into Jerusalem, and now we have... On, on probably between, I would say, Tuesday, definitely, maybe into Wednesday as well, uh, but definitely Tuesday, um, we have probably some of the most impactful teaching moments that Jesus has inside the temple. 
Um, we have the seven woes um, that are given. We have the, the major questions where they try to trip him up, right, on paying taxes to Caesar and, and all these different things where, they, where, where what are they trying to do? They're trying to find a way to discredit this guy who everybody is flocking yeah. to. Let's just take a moment to look at some of those questions because they are awesome because they're awesome from a Jesus point of view because this is the Jesus that you like, the Jesus that is is going to defend his ministry and he's going to say this is what it means to be a follower of god so the first question uh the chief priests and the experts of the law they come to jesus and they they know that the gauntlet has been thrown down the flag has been planted in the sand a line has been drawn they march right up to that line and they ask jesus tell us by what authority are you doing these things or who is the one who gave you this authority so they're doing their job because they're supposed to like you were uh, the, the teachers of the law are tell, doing their job to make sure that Jesus has the authority to do what he is doing. And Jesus turns it around on them, uh, and he, he points back to John the Baptist. He says, I will ask you one question. Tell me the baptism of John. Was it from heaven or from men? And so he goes all the way back to the beginning of his ministry, to the forerunner of the Messiah, and say, tell me about John the Baptist. Which, who, who's where does he get his authority from? And they can't answer the question because if they answer the question in uh, from heaven, then they know that Jesus is going to say, why don't you listen to him? Because he pointed to me. If they say he's from men, they were afraid of the people. And the whole reason that they're trying to uh, confront Jesus is that they're, they're seeing him stirring up the pot and they're trying to calm things down. They don't want Jesus uh, to be crucified during the Passover because there's so many people there that we know that for a fact because when we didn't talk about this, but this is what happened after Lazarus's, um, Lazarus was raised from the dead. They, they met together and they said, we have to kill this Jesus guy, but we can't do it during the Passover because there's too many people here. There's going to be a riot. And too many people that like him. Yeah, too many people that like him. I mean, because, I mean, if you think about, I mean, and, and, and we want to get to the other ones too, but but just realize the the population of Jerusalem during the time of the Passover has exponentially grown. I mean, you you are you have gone from maybe a city of of hundreds of thousands to now a city of almost rivaling a million uh, of people everywhere. Because because this is you know this is the big time of the pilgrimage. Um, Passover is a huge religious holiday for the for the for the Jewish community, and so they're here, and and this is going to play into this as well. And so they're like, we can't do this. This is we, this can't be done. He's popular. Got a lot of people from his own land that are here, and this is not good. So the first question he he kind of throws back in their their lap, and um, yeah, they they don't like that. So he 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 gives them a. He gives them a parable about wicked tenants. <laughs> you know, it, it's like, you know, okay, you just smack them around and then you kick them while they're down. And that's my Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the parable of the wicked tenants essentially is basically Jesus calling them out and calling them the wicked tenants that are not uh, not following the, the owner of the vineyard's uh, directives and they're, they want to kill the son. So, uh, yes, Jesus clouds this 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 uh, volley towards the the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He clouds it in a parable, but they get the message because at the very end of that uh, section, they are looking for ways to lay hands on him uh, because they knew he had spoken this parable against them, but they were afraid. Uh, so then they, they come at Jesus again and they talk about taxes. Maybe if we can get Jesus on the wrong side of, the gov- of politics, yep. you know, um, then the people would fall away from him and Jesus... Uh, turns that on them as well and 
uh, is a story of paying taxes to Caesar is a, you know, is a popular one. Uh, should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus has the coin out and says, you know, whose, ins- whose picture is on it, whose inscription, and, and give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. So they they don't have a response. That was their ace trump card that they were going to use, and Jesus turned it around on them, reframed the question, reframed the issue, and now they're stuck uh, because now Jesus is going to give them a talking to because they're now after this, you have the the seven um, woes that Jesus spoke about. Yeah, and and those seven woes that 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 really come for there are are um are just, I mean, not only are they horrible indignation uh, on on or horrible comments on the spiritual well being of the people, but I mean, it really brings into into perspective our own spiritual well being, um, and and how. The reason for Christ to be here is is for the sole purpose of repairing what what this is broke what sin has broken in our life and and I think those woes really highlight that, um, in 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 a, a great way, um, it, if we take the time to walk through them, which <laughs> which you don't want to do. Well, I'm sitting here reading them, and he's like, oh, "Rudat, don't do it." No, don't no, no. It. You don't can highlight them, but but I I I mean. Each of those itself could be a sermon on right. uh, on it. So I don't I don't know if we want to discuss it, but if you want to yeah. just give a highlight of some of them, well, just your listeners can go to Matthew twenty three, and he's got seven seven woes, and they are all directed at the law, experts of the law, and the Pharisees. Each woe, he calls them out and says, "You are hypocrites." And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I I don't I didn't want to spend t- too much time on them just because. I'm trying to follow your directives, Will Harley. We've got to get to the crucifixion. We got to get to the crucifixion and, and resurrection. I, I guess there, that that happened this week. That was a big thing that happened this week. That's what changed the world um, this yeah. week. <laughs> and <laughs> so after after the the uh, seven woes, then Jesus and his disciples are walking around the temple courtyards, and the and the disciples are impressed with the temple courtyard. And if, and if you've been to Israel and have seen just the temple mount, so not where not actually where the temple is, but what the the mound, basically what they had to do is it was the top of a mountain, so they had to build a platform on the top of the mountain. And so in order to build a platform, it's got to be pretty steep on the side because it, in the middle of the mountain is going to be in the middle of the platform. So if you can imagine that, the, the temple mound itself is just humongous. And then you put the temple on top of that. Um, and the disciples are impressed with the architecture, and Jesus is not. No, um, and and actually, Jesus is going to use that the uh, the whole illustration of the the temple to reference to himself, um, and and that's actually going to come back to, I I mean I don't I'm not going to say it's going to come back to bite him, but it's going to come back to to be one of the only things that that they can peg on him, um, that that they they think is a falsehood. Oh, we heard him say uh, that he's going to destroy this temple in three days, build it with you know, uh, build it up again, um. And and they missed the point. I mean, entirely missed the point. The context in which it was spoken. Yeah. Did they really? Because they had, they put the guard out because they said we heard that deceiver say in three days. Oh no! I I I think Caiaphas got the point. I I'm 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 not saying that Caiaphas didn't get it. I think the witnesses that they 
you oh, know the, the false witnesses. The false witnesses they 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 don't have, they have no idea. Um, I mean, they can't even agree on on something simple like that. Right, exactly. I think Caiaphas recognizes what's going on, and 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 you know, jumping ahead into the the travesty of the court. I mean, he goes so far as to to right after that push him about his his messiahship. Are you the son of God? And and when he hears that, I mean, he puts on this facade. We'll get there, but but I think he understands. I think I, I think in in I think what scares Caiaphas the most during this entire week is the fact that he recognizes more than what he is letting on, and he knows this is a shift, like a, a not just a shift for the culture, but a fundamental shift for all of creation, and and he is. He is playing right into the devil's hands. I mean, this is all according to God's plan, I know, but he is just, man, he is he is kicking against the goad all the way. And people do that today too. You can have, you can talk to them about the resurrection of Jesus. You can talk about the growth of the Christian church all the time, and people are just like, no, I'm just not gonna, not gonna go there. Um, so the rejection of of Caiaphas of Jesus as the Messiah is something sadly that's happened time and time again. So anyway, Jesus and his disciples are walking around the temple. Jesus talks about how it's going to be destroyed. They leave the the uh, Jerusalem. They go back to Bethany, and the disciples are shook up uh, by Jesus's announcement that this is all going to be destroyed. And so they ask Jesus, <clears throat> excuse me, they ask Jesus, when is this going to happen? And so then. And what are the signs that this is going to happen? And so they have a, a double-loaded question where they're uh, asking Jesus about the end of the world and the end of Jerusalem. And Jesus takes that those two questions and answers both of the questions at the same time because he can do that sort of thing. And so then he talks about the signs of the end of the world. That's in Matthew uh, 24 and 25. Um, and, uh, and also Luke 21. Luke 21, okay, very yeah. good. Uh, so th- those those are good things for you to look at, and Jesus uh, talking about um, um, uh, leaving Jerusalem, get out of Jerusalem, and then the uh, the interesting lead to note uh, in history that when Rome comes and destroys Jerusalem, there's a, a history tells us that there weren't very many Christians there because they were actually listening to the words of Jesus uh, that he spoke during the week that changed the world. Yeah, and actually, you you do find out that um, I mean, the first martyr, of course, is at least historically recorded, um, is the brother of Jesus uh, thrown from the temple pyramids, um, and that signals the shift, um, and Christianity moves itself to the major cities outside of Jerusalem and further north in Galilee, um, as they go from Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. Sure. Um, and and you're right. Um, in 70 A.D., we we do see the the end of really the, um, well, like you said, when, you, when when we first talked about Monday, Jesus looks in and says, yeah, it's really been nice seeing you. Um, and, and in not so long, you're gone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, but my temple is still going to remain in the hearts of people, um, um, but it's not going to be here, right? right. It's not going to be here. Um, so so he's gone, right? He, he is... Uh, he leaves, he talks, he, he leaves to go to Bethany. Goes to Bethany, and then a big event happens in Bethany. Uh, Jesus is anointed by uh, by Mary, of Mary and Martha fame. She comes in with an expensive jar of perfume and anoints Jesus. 
and it upsets one of the disciples. Um, yeah, and I would say uh, uh, more than upsets. Um, well, let's just talk about that disciple real quick. You may know him as the betrayer or Judas Iscariot, and he is a thief by nature. Um, he has uh, swindled from the coffers of of um, of Jesus uh, and and the and the twelve and their ministry for some time. Um, but now you see his his greed gets the best of him, and he uh, he looks at this and he says he he goes under the disguise of well we could have given that to the poor this is so much really it could have lined his pockets that's kind of what he's saying in the background, and this changes um, his entire outlook and demeanor uh, when when Christ does not stand with him and support his desires, and he uh, um, his heart falls away. And Satan claims him, and he now uh, I don't makes know if a we deal. would say Satan claims him, but well, he will happen, eventually. He will eventually. Yeah, <laughs> he's headed on that path because that was that was the moment where Judas goes to the uh, high priest and says, "Hey, can we uh, can we work out a deal here?" Right. Um. And I and and you know what? At this time, maybe when when Judas is and, and I think we could say this, even though even though we're we're not lessening. Judas's uh, um, sin here. I think we could say that he did not truly understand the extent to which this would go. I I don't think. I mean, best construction is Judas thought he would get messed up. He would probably get beaten up a little bit, taken down a peg. Um, but I don't think Judas really thought they're going to kill him. Yeah, certainly. Since what did Judas just experience? He just experienced Jesus uh, put the flag down in the sand. It drew the line saying, don't go any further. He is announcing his presence. He's not afraid of the Pharisees, not afraid of the Sadducees. That every time they try to trip him up, he uh, turns it around. So it doesn't seem like Jesus could possibly lose. So this was, it seemed, I could see from Judas's point of view, this would be a win-win. He'd get money. Uh, Jesus might get a little toss. He might, Jesus might even toss it around or something. Something, it, 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 uh, it definitely wasn't going to happen with Jesus's death, right? Uh, and I think that 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 is going to go a long way and leads us into Thursday. Uh, Wednesday is kind of a nothing really happens Wednesday, um, right? It's either a teaching day or right. just a day of rest or some kind something that no, nothing in the Bible is told to us about what happened on Wednesday. Right, but we do know what happens on Thursday. Um, Thursday becomes a, a really big day for the Christian church um, because it is the day of preparation for the Passover. And then on the evening of Thursday is when really in Jewish tradition Friday would start. Um, so when the sun sets on that Thursday, that's to the Jewish mind, that's Friday. And so that's when we have the Passover. So the Lord again sends his disciples out, tells them to make ready a place for the Passover because this is going to be the last Passover he's going to be able to to, to share with them. Um, they eat the meal. He he comes together. He uh, um, now there's some conjecture here in, in some of the in some of the ways how this is set up on Monday Thursday. Um, he washes the 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 disciples' feet, um, which is a, 
awesome thing where you see the Lord of all creation um, serving his creation in a very um, intimate and fundamental way. Um, we have the discussion between Peter and Jesus saying, well, you know, why don't you just wash my, wash me, wash all of me. And he says, you, you're already clean. I, I, I have to just do your feet, right? Um, and it's just a beautiful uh, illustration of baptism, right? The, the wonder that we have in the waters of baptism and wash us clean. Um, moving on from there, and this is where I think some can, some, and I don't know if it's an open question. I kind of think it might be an open question, and it's been debated by many, many a theologian. Did Judas leave before the institution of communion or after the institution of communion? And and I kind of, and this is my own personal, I, I have to highlight this. This is my own personal opinion I kind of lean on the side of he was there for communion. And and the reason I say that is because Jesus, throughout this entirety of his interaction with Judas, gives opportunity after opportunity to bring him back in forgiveness. And what greater opportunity to be strengthened is than, than in the very sacrament itself. But also the sacrament for the unbeliever is it takes it to their own eternal harm and, and, and really takes it to their spiritual harm which is a result we see with Judas. Um, so I don't know where you stand on that. Well, I would stand on Luke, and Luke is the one that has uh, Judas there at the Lord's Supper, although I'll grant that Luke isn't necessarily uh, too interested in putting things in chronological order. It's always thematic order, but that would fit the theme that uh, Judas was there for the Lord's Supper. He received it. I liked what you were saying about how Jesus continually treats Judas as a uh, smoldering wick until the moment when it's um, Satan enters his heart, when Judas finally, because Jesus again and again is talking to Judas and con- trying to confront him, the, the hidden language that's between him and Judas that the other disciples completely miss. Um, but uh, when Judas finally decides this is what he's going to do after being warned, then it's no hope for him. But I liked what you were saying about how Jesus is going to try to give him everything possible so that he doesn't have any excuse. That's our Savior. That's the Jesus that I like to see, the Savior that uh, forgives and is uh, the gentle shepherd um, that is constantly wanting the believer to come back to him, to come under his wings so that uh, they could find protection and rest and strength from him. Oh, and and I would just take it one step further and say that that you know, um, the fact that that the conversations that are going on around the table, we have little intricate conversations between Jesus and and John as he you know John is highlighted you know I know who the betrayer is going to be he sees Judas, um, but but throughout that whole entire thing and we talk about fellowship and 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 I don't want to get off track but we talk about fellowship in the Lord's Supper. And externally, all the disciples thought that they were all in fellowship, that we all are here believing in Jesus. And even though Christ knew Judas didn't and would be the betrayer, um, you still have that external visual of we're in fellowship together, and and yet still we see the struggle of of the one in the the sin of the heart, right? Um, And it really does show wonderfully this theology that surrounds the Lord's Supper of, of... we come together knowing that we we confess externally to believe that we receive Christ's body and blood and bread and wine, but that doesn't mean that we know inside if you're not struggling. But the purpose is that you would be strengthened 
to overcome the struggle. Right. It's not, yeah, it's not a parade of our righteousness uh, right. going up to, to receive the Lord's Supper. It is a, it is a parade of, of sinners coming up and saying, hey, we need this. We all need this. And we know what this is. And we know what this is. And, and this is what we receive. So I, I think there's a beauty in that. Uh, okay, so however you want to fall on that on on on, on that particular uh, question, that is up to you. Um, but he initiates the Lord's Supper. He uh, um, he has a lot of words that that, like I said, deal with uh, the betrayer and what's going on. Judas goat leaves. Satan enters his heart. He gets ready to do what he's going to do. Um, and and uh, the Lord, they close with singing a hymn, and they go out, and they're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane, where where we see uh, uh, Jesus is going to pray, and the disciples are going to struggle with staying awake. There's a lot of tension in the air, um, and if you've ever been in tense situations, you get tired real quick, and um, then all of a sudden, the mob comes, and there is Judas. Right, and I just wanted just to interrupt here, just to talk about, an external source about the the uh, arrest of Jesus is from the Jewish Talmud, and uh, this external source was written prior to the actual event of arresting Jesus, um, and it talks about how they were going to arrest Jesus. So that you could imagine this uh, being uh, circulated before Thursday, but just the uh, giving you a, a highlight into the in perhaps the mindset of the Jewish leaders trying to get rid of Jesus. It says, "He shall be stoned." Because stoning is the only form of execution they could they could do. Think of uh, Stephen being stoned in Acts. Uh, the Romans were the only ones that could crucify. He shall be stoned because he has practiced sorcery and led Israel astray and enticed them into apostasy. Whoever has anything to say in his favor, let him come forward and plead on his behalf. Anyone who knows where he is, let him declare it to the great San- Sanhedrin in Jerusalem. So, uh, so it's. Uh, Something that's preserved for us as an external source outside of the Bible about the rest of Jesus. And it, it's fascinating to me how it mentions that Jesus was practicing sorcery. So it's just the idea of they know that he has a power that is not from man, that he has something that extraordinary, but they still want to get rid of him. Yeah, and, and I, I think that sorcery aspect is is kind of a neat thing because they, they recognize, okay, he, he's done miracles. He did really good things or did things. Um, and, and now they're trying to frame it in a bad way. Um, so he's arrested. Um, there's a lot that could go on in, in the arrest. Um, but yeah, Jesus displays that he is in control during the entire arrest because they, they come and Jesus doesn't hide from them. He doesn't go off into some dark corner of Gethsemane and try to hide behind a tree. He walks right up to him and says, who are you looking for? And they say, well, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And down they went like a bunch of bowling pins. And uh, just to show that it wasn't a fluke, that they didn't uh, trip over some roots in the uh, Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus asked them again, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. Down they go. Uh, So it's just a uh, demonstration of Jesus in absolute control there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He's been encouraged and strengthened by the angels after he had prayed. Uh, to his heavenly father, we just kind of skipped over the Garden of Gethsemane, but that's the part that's pretty familiar with our where, yeah. with our listeners. Um, and uh, we're we're kind of trying to fill in some of the pieces of the week that changed the world that we don't necessarily focus on on uh, in church during Holy Week. And I think focusing on the fact that 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 everything from well, pretty much everything this entire week, but especially from this moment on, 
is not outside of the control of Christ. And yes. I think that's the most important thing. And and we're going to see that because we're going to go into, uh, right from here, he goes into this mockery of a court, right? And and Jesus purpose- It's an illegal court. It's an eagle, It's a legal court because it's at night and that, that was against the, the Jewish laws. But but not only is it illegal, it is it is a mockery, and they don't they can't prove anything. And the only time he says anything is when, and, and it's amazing. The only time he says anything is the exact time when he knows is going to cause the most disruption, yeah. and that's when <laughs> when Caiaphas comes up to him and says, "Are you the son of God?" I mean that is, and and here's the thing: if he said no, he's a liar, so he wouldn't be the son of God because right. God can't lie. If he says nothing, he's also a liar. Right. And and so what does he do? He 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 says, I am, right? Of which now it's blasphemy. The charge is blasphemy. Right. Um and then he he he, he does take it to him and say, You're gonna see me again. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just you I know what's in your head. I know where this is going, and you're not rid of me. <laughs> You're gonna see me again. The Son of Man is gonna be coming down, and with all the with all the yeah, angels and there. and worse yet. I mean, it's almost to me whenever I read that, it's like it's like you're not just gonna see me w- with your own eyes now. When you stand before God, you are going to wish this did not play out this way. It needs to play out this oh, way, <laughs> but you are you are gonna say, "I man, I I really made the wrong." The wrong choices on on what I was gonna who I was gonna back that day, um, right. but, but you know I sorry I was just gonna say I what I liked about going through this podcast today is just that this isn't the only time that Jesus talked to the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Sanhedrin, and so this is like a continuation of a conversation that started earlier in the week. So it's not as if uh, Jesus doesn't give them a chance to understand who he is. They know exactly who he is. The the gauntlet has been thrown down. The line has been drawn in the sand. And uh, they want to get rid of him. And he has given them every opportunity. So now here is him asserting who he is. This is I am the Messiah. I am going to die. And I'm going to come back again. And you're going to see me again. Absolutely. And, and so, you know, not because I, I want to give it short shrift, but because... Um, this is Good Friday material, and I think you need to come for Good Friday and, and hear it. Um, so he he gets he gets placed into the custody of Pilate, and, and I know. Whoa, 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 whoa! All whoa. right, he goes to Anna, Annas first, the high who isn't who isn't technically the high priest. Well, not this year, <laughs> not this year, right, right. So he is the guy who is operating behind the scenes. It's kind of like the uh, Donald Rumsfeld of uh, George Bush or the Rahm Emanuel and David Axelrod of uh, Obama or uh, the question mark of Joe Biden. Who is the guy behind the scenes who is actually pulling the strings? So this is a uh, common occurrence that happens in in the political world where you have somebody who is really the, really the guy in charge. Annis is the guy that's really in charge. Caiaphas is the official guy that's in charge. So he goes before Annis, goes before Caiaphas, and now... And then he's handed over to Pilate. So Pilate, he Pilate doesn't want to have anything to do with this. Pilate finds Jesus to be be innocent. Um, but but you see, Pilate had uh, some months before uh, been given an ultimatum by Tiberius Caesar, and the ultimatum was: uh, you keep the peace in Jerusalem, or your usefulness to the Roman nation is null and void. And so. 
Pilate knows what that means. That means my life is now on the line uh, from Caesar if I don't keep the peace here in Jerusalem. And uh, that plays a huge part in how this tale will play out. Because Jesus is is proven to be innocent, Pilate tries to do everything he can. He sends him to Herod. He, he tries to give him back to the Jews. He tries to flog him and make him look like he's a pitiful man. And then he tries to do something which I think is a really awesome play on words from the scripture. Um, he tries to trade a guy whose name is Barabbas, which in Hebrew is son of the father. And he puts him up against the true son of the father, you know, the heavenly father. And I've always found that to be just, you know, if you don't think God has a sense of humor, even in the whole crucifixion, here's a sense of humor from the Lord. There's a guy by the name of Barabbas who is not the son of the father at all. He's a horrible human being going up against the true son of God. And, and uh, the people say, we would rather have a horrible human being than the true son of God. And so um, Pilate, in a show that is completely and utterly useless to all of history, washes his hands of it and says, I'm not responsible for this. And the history says, no, you kind of are. Um, you still sign the death warrant. So he is now sentenced to crucifixion. Right. And to any of the skeptics who would say, well, it's the uh, Jews that, that crucified Jesus, you would say, nope, 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 nope. You got Pontius Pilate. Uh, he's a Gentile. Uh, he signed off on Jesus being crucified. There's nobody who who gets off the hook and says, well, I didn't put Jesus to death. Nobody else can say that. We all put Jesus to death through our own sins. And the only thing that, and the thing that we have done, we caused him to come to this earth uh, to die, to suffer and to die for us. Uh, nobody gets off the hook. Absolutely. And nobody and, gets uh, blamed more than anybody else. Absolutely. And so we, we all we all get to bear this. Um and 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 so now he's crucified. Now there <laughs> well, he's, you're, you're like Mark. Like Mark is building all the way up to <laughs> and Jesus' <immediately>, crucifixion. <laughs> and immediately <laughs> Mark is building up to Jesus' crucifixion and then it's just three words and he was crucified. It's like <laughs> that was it. It's like you're you're building up the whole book to the crucifixion of Jesus and you get to the main point and you don't even like elaborate on it, Mark. You just have he was crucified. And yeah. immediately he was crucified. <laughs> <laughs> but no, okay, so there are some things that happen. Like he he walks on the street um, carrying his cross, which he can't really do, and so a guy has to help carry it, which I always think is amazing because Joseph um, um, uh, of Cyrene, as he's... Simon. Simon of Cyrene, sorry, as he follows along, right? He um, he follows in the footsteps of Christ. And I, I love to use the illusion of we're called to carry our cross behind Christ, but we're not called to die on it. Um, and what a great picture that is. Um, we we have the weeping of people. So maybe this is the crowd that had gathered around and, and, and heralded him in on Palm Sunday. Yeah, we didn't really talk about the crowds crawling out crucify. Like no, we didn't. We, so we're jumping all over the place in the week that changed the world. Well, you know, Hopefully it is. Hopefully our listeners can, can, can Hey, uh, you know, we have us. this whole celebration during <laughs> during this whole week coming up um, where we celebrate Monday, Thursday, Thursday, and we celebrate Good Friday. And throughout the entire Lenten season, we have gone through the Passion history. So hopefully hopefully our listeners have have, have gotten the general gist of it. Um, but but there's a lot of stuff going on, and, and I think, you know, to even handle it in a timely basis, you know, you got to jump around just a little bit. And and so the the crowd comes back that that herald him in during the Passover, perhaps, and, right? Perhaps, and they're crying. Yeah. And and Jesus tells them, "Don't cry for me, cry for yourselves, because if this is what happens when when the tree is green, what's going to happen when it's not? Um, and and that's going to come up again, prophecy of of what's going to happen with the destruction of Jerusalem. And uh, 
they then take him to the the cross and and you know you could talk about um the factuality of of that we have found just in archaeology of how they did that how yeah. the romans did that there was a d- discovery in 1968 that talked about how uh, how uh, um not necessarily how jesus was crucified but how the romans crucified and the discovery was this board that they would use so if you think of a lot of times when we think of Jesus being nailed to the cross, we, we just have a hard time with a nail being able to hold up. A, like if you have a nail in the middle of your hand, how is that going to hold up your all of your body weight when you're on the cross? But they found in 1968, they found uh, a nail that had been driven through somebody, I think it was a foot, but in front of that nail was a, a huge a board. So think of a, a your um, think of a nail that you have, the head of that nail, and I'll just expand that head significantly that uh so when jesus was nailed to the cross sure there was a nail going through his hand there was a nail mark there but that nail wasn't just the nail holding him up there but the board on that the nail is connected to or the nail that the board that the nail is driven through first before it gets to the hand that's what's holding jesus up on the cross and so uh, it distributes the weight and and it sandwiches it between and and we could talk a little bit about how the fact that they they didn't probably drive it right through the middle of his hand it was it was more towards the the back of the palm where there's a there's a a space a space between the bones right yeah. and it would keep you from ripping the flesh out of your hands um because otherwise that would be a a possibility too sure um so i mean there's a lot that you can talk there i i think the the point of the the idea is this is not pleasant um this is this is not quick. This is uh, um, you have limited blood loss from where they put the nails, so they didn't hit a vein. They knew how to do this very, very well, and the the goal was that you eventually would suffocate. I mean, that's really what the whole idea of crucifixion was—that you would um, um, because you couldn't hold your shoulders would get weak, so you would sag, and your 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 chest cavity would compress, so your your lungs couldn't inhale. And so to 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 fix that, you'd have to push up on your feet, but you'd be pushing against that nail, and it'd be excruciating, and your legs wouldn't be able to hold up. So you push up to get a breath, and you'd sag back down, and eventually you just couldn't push up anymore and you would die um that's essentially how crucifixion was intended to work and it could take days and they were okay with that right um, <laughs> yeah it was all a public spectacle this is what right. the worst of criminals get this just to show you uh, uh you jewish people don't mess with the romans right and and i think the the public spectacle gets worse because we have the mockery that comes um, and, and again, it shows just the, if you ever wonder how bad mankind can get, um, it is, you, you see it in spades in the crucifixion because you see already someone suffering. Okay. Just or unjust, however you want to say it. And then they add insult to injury for fun. And, and, and I think that's the most deranged thing about humanity, and we do it today. Yeah, we still. watch America's funniest home videos. We watch videos yep. of people uh, harming them or getting hurt, or and we just go, "Oh, I want to, I want to watch more of that." And or we'll laugh, laugh and say, it. "Oh, that hurts," <laughs> and we chuckle, right? Um, but we 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 do we laugh at the mis and, and we not only do we laugh at the misfortunes of people, we sometimes wish for the misfortunes of people and then laugh when it comes. Ha ha! See, you deserve that, uh, and you probably deserve more. Um, I mean, it just the, the the natural tendency of our sinful nature is depraved in all of its all of its horridness. Um, so, 
Then the other question would be is why aren't the disciples there at the cross? We can say, well, when they fled in the garden, uh, they may not have fled west where Jesus was crucified, but they would have fled east uh, to Bethany back where they were, their home base was during the week of Holy Week. But, however, you do have one of the disciples there at the cross, and that disciple was John. And, and I would actually say we know what happened why Peter wasn't there. Um, and, and I think sometimes we, we fail this. Um, Peter wasn't there because of his remorse. Um, you know, Peter, Peter, after the trial, after he denies Jesus three times, um, and, and Jesus looks at him and, um, um, there's this transition of remorse working into repentance that happens. And, and so he, he kind of leaves the scene. He's probably even in Jerusalem still. Maybe he's slowly wandering his way back, not knowing where he's going. We don't know that, but, but there's, there's why, cause otherwise he would have been with John. I mean, he was there the entire time uh, up until that point. Sure. So, so um, there's some things that are, are said there. The women are there. Um, Jesus' mother is there, um, and and so we do have some uh, some of the followers of Jesus are, are still present. Um, and so, uh, uh, in fact, that's some of the caring words that Jesus has, where he he. Uh, um, gives over, and I, I really view this as more of a spiritual aspect than than anything else of guardianship. Although I think John takes it as guardianship. Um, you know, Jesus had brothers and sisters who could have taken care of his mom, um, but he really gives the spiritual guardianship of his mother to John, um, which is kind of neat, um, and and how that plays out because he cares about that. Um, and and then of course you have uh, the words of forgiveness being spoken from the cross, which is for all people, um, and, and the epitaph that Jesus says they don't know what they're doing, and how true is that? Um, no matter every, no matter what philosophy mankind brings up, we don't know what we're doing. We're, we are, we're spitting in the wind. Uh, that, that's really all it is. Um, and so we have this play out upon the cross, and then, then just fulfillment of Scripture, what goes on surrounding it. Um, they're casting lots, right? They're jeering. Um, but maybe something to just briefly comment on, because I think it's kind of important. Something drastic happens, and, and Jesus cries out, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. What is going on? Jesus is crying out to his heavenly Father because not only is he suffering from the jeers and the public humiliation, the psychological humiliation, not only is he suffering from the physical uh, humiliation of the 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 whipping and the the crown of thorns and the bleeding and the crucifixion, but he is also experiencing his God, his Father, turning his back on him, and uh, all of and basically when God turns his back on you, that's hell. Um, when God withholds his preservation, when God withholds his watching over you. When God has turned completely, completely, completely against you, that's hell. Now, we don't experience that here on earth. We, we think it's hell. We, we make claims like, oh, man, this is so bad that God is against me. But you're still breathing air. You're still, you're still water for you to drink. There's still food for you to eat. There's still a place you can go. Uh, yes, there are homeless is, homelessness is an issue, but there are still people that can provide. There's still got people that God is using his hands to care for you. But Jesus on the cross does not have any of that. And so he still cries out, uh, my God, my God, why have you 
why have you forsaken me? It's interesting to note that this is also a quote from the Psalm, Psalm 22. And so you wonder, is that is that what Jesus, what, what was Jesus doing there on the cross? What was going through his mind? Perhaps he was going through the Psalms um, and in his mind. And when he gets to Psalm 22, which is so graphic about someone being abandoned by God, his, their tongue being stuck to the roof of their mouth, they can't, they can't breathe, their bones out of joint. That's Jesus. That's David writing about Jesus a thousand years before Jesus was born. And so here Jesus was uh, on the cross, being completely abandoned by his God on our behalf, uh, suffering the hell that we deserve. And uh, to say, well, he only experienced hell for a couple of minutes or, or an hour or two hours, that's not the same as an eternity. Uh, let's not forget that this is God on the cross being forsaken by God. What that you bring that to the equation, and um, well, and you see something that is that has never happened ever and will never happen again. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and we have no bearing to comprehend what that's like. That from from eternity, the the Trinity was never anything but allied in all things, and now for the first time and only time in all eternity, the Trinity is set against itself. Um, and really two parts of the Trinity are set against one. Right. Um, and that that is something that, that I think we will never truly understand. And we shouldn't underplay it because it is it it, it over exemplifies and, and really personalizes what happened. God punishes God for you. And that's I mean that that's how much you are worth. That that's how much you are worth. That that God would send his very son to be punished for you, take on your sin, take on your hell, and then multiply it for everyone so that they wouldn't have to suffer. Right. And we see in Jesus on the cross, it, this is the gl- the glory of God shining in its brightest. Sometimes we would think, oh, when God was on Mount Sinai, that's the glory of God. Well, you have the justice of God on Mount Sinai. Or you have Jesus uh, loving the little children. Oh, that's the love of God. That's the glory of God. You know, he's or he's doing a miracle of some sort that he's providing for his people. That this is the glory of God. That's not the the greatest view of the of God's justice and God's love for us is seen at the cross. That is the greatest glory of God. We have both of those in full measure. You have the law in all of its severity. And the gospel, in all of its glory, in all of its beauty, uh, and in all of its comfort, is found there in the cross. You know, I often wonder. Um, you know, Satan thinks that this is his greatest triumph, and and I wonder when the turning point was for him to realize this was his ultimate defeat. Um, and we're not told. I mean, we're told in Peter, First Peter. Um, in, Colossians, that, yeah. in Colossians, the descent into hell, right, and and the proclamation of of victory, um, but I wonder, I just, I, 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 my brain works this way, um, where you know, at one he's dancing, around, hey, I win, I win, oh shoot, <laughs> uh, I, I mean. It's kind of a neat. What happens here is just a is is horrid and it's beautiful and it is it is me on the cross in the waters of baptism. I I'm there, and I'm placed into that body who bleeds, and 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 then 
And then I'm buried with him as, as he's taken down from that cross and we have um, some high officials, some Sanhedrin um, and, and, some, and a Pharisee. Yeah, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea, which I've always been struck. Nicodemus in John 3 is hiding. He meets with Jesus uh, privately because he's scared of the association. And here at the crucifixion, he is no longer scared. Uh, he is afraid. He's willing to go up to Pilate. He's willing to be publicly attached to this corpse yeah. That's on a, like this is the time for you to say maybe I shouldn't uh, maybe I shouldn't be associated with that guy because look at what they were the Jews were able to do what look at what the Romans were able to do look at just what happened here this uh, amazing this I want to say amazing but this uh, atrocity that just happened the power that seemed to be on display against Jesus Nicodemus is not afraid of that. No, and, and I think the thing that even goes beyond that is is he is so emboldened that he even threatens his own ability to worship on the Sabbath by doing it. Um, and, and maybe there is a lot, in, 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 and we like we said, we really went through the crucifixion quick because, I mean, tons of stuff is going on. Um, we have the darkness that, that comes between 12 and, and, and uh, 3. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that sounds right. And and so you have the you have this darkness that that descends, and you have um, just a, a a bunch of things that are going on. You have the ground shaking, the dead rising, the um, curtain being the torn curtain into. being torn into, um, all of these things going on. But it it emboldens these men who who are putting their own spiritual well being, according to Jewish tradition. They're putting their own spiritual well-being at risk by participating in the taking down of Jesus. Yeah, touching um, a dead body. And yeah. touching a dead body and being associated with Christ, like you said. I mean, he's not a popular guy, and and yet they're they're stick, they're coming out and saying, no, we don't care. Um, and so he's laid into a fresh tomb. We have the ladies who find out where he is. And yeah, ladies not liking how they're putting Jesus in that tomb. They're saying, that's not how it's done, boys. That's the, not the shawl how it's is done. Not ri- the shawl doesn't have as many creases as it needs <laughs> when it goes around. It is, it is. you did not use the right incense. That's... They were not ground uh, as finely as they deserve to be. Yeah. Um, and so the ladies are going to do it right um, on Easter morning. And so they go and they hide away for what we would call Easter Vigil. Uh, that Saturday must have been horrible, um, and it must not have been a, a, a very good time. They, every Hope is gone. The light of the world has been doused, so right. they believe. The only activity that's happening on Holy Saturday is the activity of Jesus' enemies. Yes, uh, yes. Jesus' enemies going, we've got to make sure that Jesus' disciples don't keep this uh, thing going in any way whatsoever. So they, uh, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate, and they said, uh, we remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver said, after three days I will rise again. So that, to me, it just hits me in the gut, that they knew exactly what Jesus was talking about when we had talked about that earlier today. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying when he said, destroy this temple, and in three days I will rise again. That didn't matter. They were still going to... Right, uh, still going to do it. Just the, the unbelief of, of that. But however, so um, and and then also on the flip side of that, you can see how the disciples, just how scattered they are. Just just the whole idea of the emotional high of the, of Holy Week, uh, the energy that's there in Holy Week, 
that maybe they've they've had all of this programming throughout the rest the, the beginning of their life before they met Jesus that there was going to be this, some sort of political messiah that was going to come in and and bring bring back the glory days so to speak and that was in their head and they were seeing parts of that with Jesus riding into Jerusalem and now he's going to get crucified what you know that just didn't compute and so their 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 worldview is shattered they're they're scared they're uh, afraid they're they're disillusioned um they're lost yes and anyway so then Pilate um uh agrees to have these guards the roman guards do probably the dullest and most mundane job in the world is to guard a tomb of a guy who's already dead and make yep. sure that nobody messes with it the seal is on there to make sure that if anybody moves the stone uh that that would instantly be seen as this is uh, somebody a uh, grave robbing, and uh, as the as the guards are guarding, the angels are standing behind the veil, going wait, wait for it. it. <laughs> Just, hold on, guys, wait, wait for it. it. <laughs> this is gonna be cool. <laughs> Do I get to be the one? Do I get to be the one? Can it be me? Can it be me? Gabriel, you had your time. <laughs> <laughs> and so. <laughs> Well, okay, we're having fun. <laughs> so what happens is is they they got this this is the boringest job that they they've ever had and uh sometime in the morning in uh as the ladies got up early after the sabbath um they they're gathering their things, they're coming to the 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 grave and uh they're saying to themselves who is going to move this rock away because right. This is just, it's too much for us. I, I just, I love that just about how they were so occupied with the making sure Jesus was buried correctly and gathering the spices and gathering that, that the, the biggest detail, how do we get in? It's completely lost to them until they're they're on their way. You know, yep. they're like, "Oh, we should have asked somebody." There's some should have woke Peter up. Oh, should, should, yeah. It's like, "Oh, we should have done that." And so it's uh, it's fascinating to me. So while the ladies are worried about this, then comes the angel. Well, the earthquake. The earthquake. That's yeah, right. there's an earthquake which should have tipped somebody off that something is happening. <laughs> um, uh, earthquake and the the stone rolls away. Angels appear and uh, the soldiers they. They almost are like dead men. Yeah. They they fall on the ground. Um, and something happens between the time. So before the ladies come, the the soldiers must come too, and are like, "I'm out of here," yeah. and and they clear out. So now the the, the ladies are approaching, and something's weird. Let, my favorite part of what you just said was that what the angels did uh, after the stone was rolled away. They sat, sat on, on it. it. I know. <laughs> like, like nobody's moving this thing. Yeah. Well, <laughs> don't and, put it back, guys. Don't put it back. Well, it's not <laughs> just, just try that. it. Just it's, come out over here and try it. That's <laughs> how I view it. It's just like I dare you. Just I'm waiting. You know, like my. I, I mean, yeah. You know, I okay. So if you don't know me by now, I I kind of think that that a lot of times. Um, heavenly beings have snarky attitudes. <laughs> you, you impart your snarkiness. On I do. The I do. And and I'm thinking, you know, there's there. I like. I think there is that smug expression of, come on, really. And 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 so yeah, he's got this joyous thing to say to the ladies, right? He has this joyous thing to say to the ladies, and he and the ladies come up, and um, and he gets to pronounce to them what's going on, and and it's almost like one of those things, like really. You don't know. Um, he's not here. Um, it's empty for a reason. And then we got these different accounts, right, of, of what happens. And then it starts to fracture off because we have some of the ladies that go back, and then we have one that stays. 
and and we have the first appearance of Jesus coming with the one that stays, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, where where Mary Magdalene is crying and and Jesus appears and says, "Why are you crying?" Well, they've taken my Lord away, and she thinks he's the gardener, and and then she finally Rabboni uh, um, uh, and falls at his feet and says, "Don't don't hold on to me. I, I must go on from here and meet my disciples." Um, we have. Uh, the other ladies come and get the, getting the disciples. Two of them race to the tomb. Um, we have John and Peter. Peter goes in and and sees that that Jesus isn't there, and then Jesus appears to Peter, right, um, and and gives him hope and comfort. Um, we have the road to Emmaus, and and the disciples seeing um, on the road to Emmaus, and then we get that one night. Uh, after after he reveals himself to the disciples on the road to Emmaus, um, he reappears in, in the upper room with those disciples, and and it's it's awesome how how he's talked with them. Uh, he talked with the people on the uh, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. He then appears to the disciples in the upper room, and then the disciples from the road to Emmaus come and say, "Guess who we saw?" And you go, "No, guess who we saw? We saw." And they're like, "Wait a second, let's compare notes." I think he rose, and Thomas is like. Yeah, I don't believe it. You know, not unless I see it, which is going to be a week later, which we're not going to get into Dude. in this podcast because we want to talk about the resurrection. And and I know we are a little bit over, dear listener. Um, this is a longer podcast, but but man, this is such a glorious, glorious narrative. Right. Uh, and where the I, idea of the resurrection and you brought in all of the major events, but how can we put all these in order? Maybe some of our listeners can be a little frustrated in the fact that the gospel writers don't have the same details or they don't seem to tell the story the same way. You've got four, it looks like there are four different stories. Are there two angels? Is there one angel? Uh, When did Jesus appear to whom? And there's all kinds of uh, tension in the text that leads some people to say, well, that's because they didn't know what they were talking about, that they were making it up on the fly. And we would say to that. Well, we would say that, that you know, the, the greatest the greatest proof of the validity of the scriptures are the fact that, that they're not, um, they didn't come together and say, we're going to edit this out and make one story. That, that you are getting the snapshots of, of what are these people dealing with and what are they seeing as they're going through this. You know, you go to Luke and you see, you see the people that Luke has talked to in, in in the narrative tale. He talked with the majority of the women who flew back. Maybe he didn't talk to Mary Magdalene at the time. That's why her tale isn't there. Um, but you have the other women that he, he, he says, he talked to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Maybe they were friends, and so he has their tale, because he's the only one that has the tale of the uh, of those, specifically what happens there. Um, then you, you, you think about, okay, you know, Matthew had has a different one. John has a different one. But they're from the perspective of of these disciples who and who they talk to, who they interact with, and how this message came to them. And, and you see... I think you had made mention that, that this is like the aerial view and, and we're getting these, these like little snapshots. Yeah. That was before the podcast. So the, the, the illustration was, is imagine yourself flying in an airplane over the, over the world and you're looking through the clouds and you can see little bits and pieces of the ground. So you, you know, what's down there is a field or what's down there is a city, but you're not getting all of the details. Correct. And that's kind of how we, when we look at all of the different gospel writers, we're we're in we're in an airplane. We're looking at we're looking at this person's viewpoint or this person's witness, 
but we don't have all the details. We don't know where they're all going and when, when they're all moving. The geography is, is sometimes missing from the, from the text. Uh, the uh, um, um, timing is different from the text. When do they go and see what? Uh, but the truth of all four of the Gospels is that Jesus rose from the dead, and it was an excitement. The truth of the of the of the of the uh, of the Easter story is that even Jesus's disciples were confused and lost, and 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 it didn't come clear to them until Jesus appeared to them in person and reassured them, "Peace be with you." And and I would even say that you know a better way to and a very good way to help solidify our our minds around the whole gospel account of the of the resurrection is to say this is a gem and 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 just like in any gem there's different facets that you can look at it and you can look at it from this facet and you can look at it from that facet very much the way that that the book of revelation is written and many, much of prophecy and it's because we are finite creatures and we look at things in snapshots and we 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 think to ourselves and then we try to put it all together and say this, then this, then this, then this. But it's not this, then this, then this, then this. It's all of it, and it's happening, and it, and it, and this is the majesty of it. It's happening, as this is happening, this is happening, and as that is happening, this is happening, and it and it's you know, it's just all kind of we're we're getting these like you said the snapshots of it, but it's all happening at around the same time and then around the same ways and and we're thinking to ourselves well you know let's just face it in our life it's not just so it's not linear i mean i'm here doing a podcast with you but my wife is at home working and my kids are at daycare and my son is probably playing on his switch and if we would all come together and say what's going on we'd each have a different tale about things going on at the exact same time. Kind of like how we all recount where were we at 9-11. We, have, yeah. you know, we all saw the same event. We all saw the, the towers coming down, but we all have a different part of our tale. When it comes to the, the disciples and the, the women in the resurrection, they all have a tale to say, and we want to be able to preserve all of their tales, all of their, their witnesses um, in the, the gospel accounts. You could, you could look at the gospel accounts and say, you know, if this was a conspiracy, which some people claim, if this was a conspiracy, would they not all be the same? Right. Would they? And, and I think what police officers will say something like that too, or when they ask witnesses, they they know that if a witness, if all of the witnesses are saying the same thing, that there's some sort of collusion going on. But where the our got four gospel writers all say the same thing: Jesus rose from the dead, but all of these little details to Two angels, which Mary, when did Jesus appear to whom, and when did they go to the tomb? Those details are all uh, preserved for us because that's the individual witness of each individual player in the story. Right, and it gives more, and, and, and again, it gives, in an external way, it gives more validity to to what we have as the truth, and and then also I think the final the final validity that we would have that this is the truth is well of course the Holy Spirit who says this is the truth, um, but is is the external sources that say we have these these disciples who were convinced I mean at one point convinced that they were going to die now boldly proclaiming. You don't boldly proclaim something that's a lie and a fallacy, and and yet you have have these people boldly stepping out and saying, "I'm willing to die for it," because it's true. 
And, and, and I'm, and, and, and so, I mean, and, and you have the external sources that say, and the tomb is empty. I mean, they might not go so far as to say, well, he rose, but they'll say, guess what? The tomb is empty. I mean, we know that for a fact, the tomb is empty. Right. Um, and I, and it, it offers external validity to what the spirit has confirmed for us in faith that says, um, this week was important and it was important, not just because of one person dying, but because God died for you and rose again um, for you. And that is important. That is important. Right. Uh, it is for you. And uh, w- one of the things I was going to say about the resurrection and the different accounts is the idea of our God hides himself. And as we're looking at the, the gospel accounts, we could have, I mean, if I were writing the gospel accounts, of course, what would you have? You'd have the 12 disciples waiting outside the, the, the tomb. You'd have Jesus appearing to Pontius Pilate and Caiaphas and Annas and, and all the Sanhedrin, and, you know, just making a big show of things. But that's not how God operates in this world. He, is, he, he hides himself so that it would be by faith, by the working of the Holy Spirit, working through the word, that we would look at the, the gospel accounts and say and be led by the Holy Spirit to say, this actually happened. Yeah, and, and it did happen, dear listener. And my prayer for you is is during this week that that you take some time to consider the truth of what is being shared. Not because this is just custom and this is what we do, um, but that we take the time to really stop and say, wait a second. Where's my place in this story? Where's my place in this narrative? And and because of the waters of baptism, my place is there in Christ. As as I see him planting that flag before the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and, and the chief priests, and, and that's me because I'm in that body. And he plants the flag and he says, I'm here to do something for you and, and you're denying me. And then I'm there, I'm there in the crowd crying crucify. And I'm there, I'm there in the body of Christ where my sins are, are being paid for. And I am, I am there at the, at the foot of the cross weeping because this is horrible and yet joyful. And I'm there at the open tomb, uh, fearful of who's going to, how's this going to play out? And at first, who was going to take the stone away? And, and what am I going to see? And then, and then being fearful again, because I don't know what's going on. And then I'm, I'm Peter running because someone stole the body of Christ and then, Oh no, he's there. And then I'm, and then I'm the, the, the ones to the road of Emmaus. And I, and I have that picture up in my office because I, I resonate with them. Are you dumb? Don't you know what's been going on? And he says, no, let me tell you what's been going on. And I have to learn at his feet again so I know what's going on. And then my eyes are opened again, and I can't get back fast enough to that upper room where Jesus appears and he says, peace be with you. And we compare the notes, and we like, this is amazing. Um, that's, that's the resurrection. That's Resurrection Sunday. Um, and, and I don't know if you can get any better than that. I, I really don't. Um, I mean, if you have any final words to make it better... Uh, Lay it on us. Well, I would just say amen to your prayer that this is that we would all see ourselves in uh, in the week that changed the world because this podcast, Casting Nets, is about real life, living faith. Uh, contact us if you want to talk to us, castingnetspod at gmail.com. Talk to us on Facebook or uh, in person. And have a good week, friends. <laughs>